This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Washington, D.C., Piss Town. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Start things off with a big fuck you to Amazon. We had been tracking the Seattle City Council race last week. We nominated Amazon to the garbage can for trying to knock off Shama Sawant. They uh, spent like over a million and a half dollars on the Seattle City Council races. Well, they fucking lost. Shama Sawant won her seat back. So big fuck you to Amazon to start things off today. Yeah. Fuck you, Amazon. Speaking of campaign contributions, uh, over the weekend or late last week, Foreign Policy released some numbers looking at individual contributions to the various Democratic primary uh, candidates. And surprising numbers here. The deep states behind Bernie, folks. Looked at combined contributions from uh, employees at the State Department, the military, the Justice Department, and the Department of Homeland Security. Bernie's raked in $212,000. Second place, Pete Buttigieg at $152,000. See, I feel like Bernie is more the civil service candidate and Buttigieg is more the deep state candidate. That's my... That's my I mean, these are thing. these departments, though. I mean... We'll, we're not talking about postal employees here. Or no, no, services. we're not. We're not. But I think. And if that, you look at strictly military, well, strictly military, the military, Bernie's winning by even more. He's more than doubled Pete Buttigieg. He's brought in one hundred eighty-one thousand dollars in military contributions. Well, Buttigieg second at seventy-nine thousand. Wouldn't the deep state people be more likely to be State Department than military? If you think about it, there are a lot of okay, Donald Trump. <laughs> there are no. I mean, there are a lot of. Of uh, grunt positions yeah, in yeah. the military, and there are a lot of administrative positions at the Pentagon and in the sprawling Defense Department complex uh, everywhere. Sure, M- me using the term "deep state" probably wasn't the best uh, <laughs> best uh, identifier here, but uh, this gives me hope that should Bernie win, and should they try to launch a coup against Bernie. Maybe the troops will just lay down their weapons. <laughs> It'll be the cops fighting that we'll have to fight against. The troops will lay down their weapons. The cops will use the troops' weapons that they have already gotten through surplus giveaways. We're, we're going to need the troops to not lay down their weapons. We're going to yes. need the troops to pick up their weapons yeah, to defend that's Bernie. That's true. That's true. Because <laughs> there is going to be some shit, for sure. For sure. I... I'm just not in an optimistic mood this morning, I guess. Partially because of that new Monmouth poll out of Iowa showing that we have a new leader in that state. This is one of the days in which the polls are bad, by the way. Uh, The polls might be good tomorrow and they might be bad again the day after that. This is certainly a day when the polls are bad. Bad poll out of Iowa. Pete Buttigieg now leading in Iowa, 22%. He's jumped 14 points since August. Biden in second at 19, Warren in third at 18, Bernie down in fourth at 13%. Not uh, not sure how much stock to give to these polls. I'm pretty much ignoring all polls until a couple weeks before Iowa. Yeah, 
It's still depressing, though. <laughs> it's still very depressing seeing Buttigieg's name right at the top of that motherfucker. Well, look on the bright side, Sam Knight. If Pete Buttigieg wins Iowa and goes on to win the primary, he will at least deliver us from Warren's Medicare for All head tax. <laughs> let's let's stay focused on what's important here. The bright side of Pete Buttigieg winning, we won't harm large employers of low-wage workers like McDonald's and Walmart with a Medicare for All head tax. That's that's the bright side of a Pete Buttigieg win here. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's... Uh... I, I am 100% on the Bernie train, but it's really hard to look at that poll and to take seriously all the people who are still tearing their hair out about Warren. And I know she is not great and certainly- For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. And certainly her response to Amy Goodman recently uh, was not something that yeah. should endear her to anyone on the left. I thought it was pretty crummy. Yeah. But nevertheless, seeing a fucking McKinsey-ass dipshit like Pete Buttigieg at the top of that list makes me think, holy shit, everything is bad and very grim, and clouds are casting a pall on everything, and there is just a storm on the horizon. Wait till we get the uncucked polls. Things will look a lot better. And maybe they are cucked. Maybe yeah. these the are two landlines. landline polls. Skewing too old. Who knows? <laughs> In which case, there's some good news. It shows Bernie's uh, has actually climbed five points since August. In the landline polls. <laughs> Even the cucked polls are there's, showing. There's some good news. <laughs> All right. Up. It's Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. Here's the news. The State Department says that what happened in Bolivia is not a coup, though it said the party of Evo Morales should be barred from the democratic process and basically admitted that he was forced out by military and police. <laughs> in a press briefing yesterday, an official who didn't want to be named alleged that Morales was forced from office solely because of protests in response to Morales winning in the first round of presidential elections by more than expected, thereby avoiding a runoff. We'll get to what State said exactly in a second, but first, there has been no credible evidence presented of irregularities, as noted by the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Also, in the build-up to Morales's ouster, officials from his Movement for Socialism party were attacked Videos on social media also show Bolivian security forces threatening elected officials and civilians, and that many in anti-Morales factions appear to have hardline reactionary fundamentalist Christian leanings. If this happened to a leader that the U.S. government liked, the State Department would denounce mob violence and demand the opposition respect the result. Let's be clear. The recent presidential election here in the U.S. had far more irregularities than the one then in Bolivia. That's right. That's and, that, right. And, not, not, and we're not even doing a Russiagate here thing. I'm not even no, talking about Russiagate. We're talking, where talking is... Talking about the Electoral College and talking about just in general people who've been knocked off the polls, not allowed to vote. Where, where is the uh, Georgia State Police trying to overthrow Governor Kemp? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Anyway, yesterday evening, a State Department official said the following, quote, our understanding is that what happened, in fact, is the people serving in the public security forces, in the police, declined to repress these protests, 
and later that members of the armed forces declined to repress these protests. And at that point, Evo Morales resigned when leaders of the security forces pointed out the obvious, end of quote. So not a coup, apparently. The military just refused to suppress violent protests of their allies and then, quote, pointed out the obvious to the elected president of the country. The official was also asked about whether Morales' movement for socialism parties should be allowed to partake in the next election. They said the following, quote, Our position is that people who are directly implicated in trying to distort the outcome of the election should not participate in that in the follow-on election, end of quote. So again, not a coup. Just the party that was elected is now banned from democracy for rigging a vote, though we can't actually show evidence the vote was rigged. This is a coup. Correct. 100%. This is a coup. Had the opposition respected the result, Morales would have been elected to a fourth term in office. He first assumed power in 2006 after his first presidential election. One reason why the U.S. government and elite Bolivians despise him is that his movement for socialism has actually helped the poor a lot. So much so that even the Washington Post couldn't ignore it. Last month, it published an article on Bolivia noting, quote, 13 years after his movement for socialism won at the ballot box, it's indisputable that Bolivians are healthier, wealthier, better educated, living longer and more equal than at any time in the South American nation's history. End of quote. Another reason they hate Morales, Bolivia has vast lithium reserves and Morales has exerted public control over them and other natural resources. As noted by Sentinel pal Owen Higgins at Common Dreams, Morales canceled a deal with a German lithium extraction firm just days before the coup. The company provides batteries to Tesla, among other companies. Tesla's stock was up almost 3% when trading resumed Monday after Morales was forced from office under military threat. Though I didn't check the headlines about whether or not they just took away Elon Musk's phone. Maybe that's why uh, the stock was up 3%. Anyway, Evo Morales is at least still alive for now. He's in Mexico, which granted him political asylum. Morales said, quote, it pains me to leave the country for political reasons, but I will always be watching. I will be back soon with more strength and energy. Meanwhile, President Trump released a statement yesterday saying the United States, quote, applauds the Bolivian people for demanding freedom and the Bolivian military. These events send a strong signal to the illegitimate regimes in Venezuela and Nicaragua that democracy and the will of the people will always prevail. Trump added in a statement released by the White House, look, everyone who's out there on Twitter trying to big time and fucking flash their fancy IR degrees and preen to the fucking foreign, foreign policy establishment and say, this actually isn't a U.S. back coup, and you're just denying agency and ignoring uh, the, the nuance of Bolivia, get fucked. <laughs> you should be hounded with those tweets for the, le- for the rest of of your fucking lives. They should haunt you. (laughs) Bernie Sanders so far, the only candidate in the Democratic primary to come out and speak out against the coup in Bolivia. Decent statement from Sanders. He he did uh, say some weird things at the end, calling on the U.S. to say that there shouldn't be violence, even though the U.S. is out there in support of this coup, as the White House says in the statement, as well as uh, the CIA long been involved in uh, in the situations in Latin America. Yeah, and, and Bernie was also a little wishy-washy on the whole process issue because, yeah. again, there is just no real solid evidence of irregularity. 
and he called for uh, you know, democratic process to be respected and such. I, I, I'm maybe I'm being a little too hard on him. Maybe it's just that he waited a few hours and Jeremy Corbyn was out there right away. Boom! This is a coup. This is a fucking coup. It's a coup. Coup. It's a fucking coup. Yeah, I mean, holding Bernie to the same standards as everybody else, he's exceeded them as he does every single time. But uh, we hold Bernie to higher standards here. That's true. But again, Bernie, the only Democratic candidate so yes. far. So that under underline that a few times. Probably don't need to say so far. I'm not expecting any of the others to say a <laughs> no. goddamn thing. Anyways, moving on. The fate of nearly 700,000 dreamers hangs in the balance at the Supreme Court on Tuesday. The high court heard oral arguments in a case to determine if President Trump has the authority to end what's known as the DACA program, standing for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA was a program started under the Obama administration that allows individuals who are brought to the country as children and who have not committed any crimes to apply for work permits and be protected from deportation. Upon assuming office, Trump announced he would end the DACA program by no longer offering those work permits to DACA recipients. That move prompted legal challenges that have brought us to where we are today. The plaintiffs in the case arguing against Trump include DACA recipients, universities, immigration advocates, and state attorneys general. Lower courts have already ruled against the administration, finding Trump's attack on DACA to be, quote, arbitrary and capricious. The Supreme Court isn't expected to rule on the matter until next summer. Some early reporting from the arguments today suggest that the court could uphold Trump's decision to end the DACA program. But again, we won't know for sure until the court releases its final opinion likely next year. Meanwhile, on the day of these oral arguments, the Southern Poverty Law Center dropped a bombshell story on the man in the White House who is the architect of Trump's anti-immigration policies. I'm talking about advisor Stephen Miller. The report includes emails from Stephen Miller to notorious white supremacist news outlet Breitbart. The hundreds of emails show Miller promoting links from other white supremacist outlets, defending the Confederate flag after the massacre in the Charleston Black Church, spreading conspiracy theories about immigrants, sharing stories from Infowars, boasting about connections with Islamophobe Pam Geller. The, uh, these are just to name a few. The report is just chock full of retrograde racist shit that Stephen Miller has been peddling for years. And it helps explain some of the data revealed in another news story over the weekend by the Associated Press, finding that in 2019, the U.S. jailed 69,500 immigrant children. That includes infants, toddlers, kids, teenagers. Of those nearly 70,000 kids, some have since been reunited with their family. Some have been deported. 4,000 are still in custody. But that 70,000 detentions, child detentions, that's a 42% increase from 2018. Also, according to the United Nations, that's more child detentions than any other country in the world. For example, Australia had 2,000 detentions. They had a, uh, a bit of a, a migrant situation. Canada, 155 detentions. The UK, 42. Here in the U.S., 70,000. This is Stephen Miller's America, fundamentally a failed state. That's still a remarkable number from Australia, whose uh, treatment of migrants is just so fucking yeah. appalling that... I don't know. You think certain 
Twitter accounts from Australia would have more to talk about about their own country, <laughs> but here we are. The Justice Department has approved the largest bank merger since the Great Recession. The agency's antitrust division okayed the proposed deal between SunTrust and BB&T. According to the Fed, the former has $214 billion in assets. The latter has $219 billion in assets. The DOJ said it's attaching conditions to the merger, namely the divestiture of 28 SunTrust branches in North Carolina, Virginia, and Georgia. The sale would amount to the loss of merely $2.3 billion in deposits. The two banks combined would therefore still have roughly $431 billion in assets left over. They would still be creating the sixth largest bank in the country by merging. Here's how the DOJ tried to spin this from the first paragraph of a press release a few days ago, quote, The divestiture constitutes the largest divestiture in a bank merger in over a decade, end of quote. This is the antitrust equivalent of actually the 1% pay the most amount of taxes. This is probably the largest divestiture in a decade in a bank merger because it's the largest fucking bank merger in a decade dipshits. The proposed merger still needs to be approved by the Fed and the FDIC, as DOJ noted. It's hard to see either agency stepping in under the Trump administration. A lot of Democrats would probably like to see this deal done too. The proposed merger was preceded by Congress passing a bill lightening rules on banks with up to $250 billion in assets. The so-called Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act of 2018 a handful of Senate Democrats supported the bill, helping Republicans get a filibuster-proof majority. Together, these Democrats received tens of thousands of dollars in campaign donations from entities and individuals related to BB&T and SunTrust. This was more than 90% of banks' donations to all Senate Democrats' last campaign cycle. Records show lobbyists from both banks focus heavily on the bill, as your boy noted in a truth-out piece that was published in March. In case you were wondering, neither SunTrust nor BB&T will live on as a brand, assuming their merger goes through, which is a pretty safe assumption. Instead, the two new banks will be known collectively as Truist. T-R-U-I-S-T. Truist. Can you say that? Can you pronounce... Can you, does it just roll off the tongue? I mean, I, I read it as Truist. Yeah, it's stupid, but it's dumb. <laughs> Am I just misreading this and making an ass of myself? Well, it's spelled like truism, but instead of an M, there's a T at the end. Truist. <laughs> you, it's your friend. You want to add like this French flair to it or something. <laughs> Truist. <laughs> Either way, it is the dumbest brand name Agreed. in the entire world. Agreed. Finally today. Truist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Environmentalists are raising the alarm over a proposed rule out of the EPA that would inject a poison pill into any science-based regulations. The proposed rule, according to the New York Times, was recently expanded and would prohibit the EPA from setting regulations based on scientific research unless that research and all of its underlying data, including private medical details, are released as well. Now, this is a problem. Lots of research that goes into setting clean water and air standards is based off medical research, studying individuals who suffer from diseases caused by the environment, like asthma, or how they've been exposed to arsenic and leads and things like this. 
thus the need for medical privacy. So what Trump's EPA is doing here is inserting a completely needless requirement that will essentially block a lot of science-based regulations unless individuals' medical histories are also compromised. Oh, you claim that X amount of carbon in the atmosphere can lead to Y cases of cancer? Well, too bad we can't do anything about that unless you reveal the full identities of all those people you studied with cancer. Even worse, the proposed rule would apply retroactively, meaning prior regulations based on medical research would also have to be scrapped. The Union of Concerned Scientists reacted to the news of the proposal in a statement. The organization's director of the Center for Science and Democracy, Dr. Andrew Rosenberg, said, quote, There's no scientific reason or public interest to restricting the science that EPA can consider in this way. It will just make the laws that protect public health and the environment nearly impossible to carry out. Well, that has been the goal of the administration, and they've been quite effective in carrying it out. The EPA inspector general released a report two months ago detailing how the agency has cut 26 environmental regulations since Trump took office. Congress is expected to convene a hearing on Thursday to look into the EPA's use of scientific research in policymaking. Hey, we've got a Patreon that you all probably know about. In case you don't, it's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to all sorts of bonus content. You get that good feeling of knowing that you're helping supporting our news co-op, that you're helping ensure that we can keep delivering you these daily newscasts for free. Subscribe, patreon.com slash district sentinel, five bucks a month. You also get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. Let's read some poetry right now for our new subscribers. This first one goes out to P. Shaw. Alert, dog in bed, snores louder than humans do, Try not to kick it. Thank you, P. Shaw. This is for William. New maturity. Don't get mad. Quiet unfriend. Bad morales take. (laughs) Thank you, William. This one is for Jay. Walked into the sea and swam to its deepest depths. Found the aliens. Thank you, Jay. Finally, this is for Soul Cheap. One month from today, let's call the Prime Minister Jeremy Corbyn. A hopeful haiku to end on there. Thank you, Soul Cheap. And thank you to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. The listener rant line is blinking. Let's see what y'all have to say. Hey, guys. Uh, so I was listening to the Environmental Justice Forum that was hosted by Democracy Now! last week. And before I listened to it, uh, my plan was I was going to vote for Bernie in the primary, but if Elizabeth Warren ends up being the nominee, I was planning on voting for her in the general. But after listening to her performance at this Environmental Justice Forum, uh, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, so, first of all, she really, really likes markets. Like, she kept talking about how she thinks markets are going to solve the climate crisis, which is a little ridiculous and, uh, I think kind of dangerous. Uh, and also, she was asked straight up if she thinks there should be billionaires, and she said yes. And her reasoning is, if you have a good idea and you work really hard, 
you know, you deserve to, to make a fortune. But then she gave her reasoning for her wealth tax, which I think some of us might think it's because the workers that produced the wealth of the billionaires deserve to share in some of that wealth they generate. That's not her reasoning. It's that middle-class taxpayers who paid for the education of those workers and paid for the roads that they drove on deserve some of that wealth, not the workers. So I think listening to her performance at, at this forum, it sort of made me realize a little bit more that Elizabeth Warren isn't <laughs> even the, the compromise candidate that I thought she was. So I think the solution to this is we just need to make sure that Bernie Sanders ends up being the nominee, and then we don't have to worry about this. All right, have a good one. A very reasoned call, indeed. Yes, Yes, I agree with most of the points the caller made. Although I would say, as someone who uh, voted for drill over Hillary Clinton in, uh, in 2016, I would feel comfortable voting for Elizabeth Warren over Donald Trump. But yeah, I'd rather avoid that entire scenario and just have Bernie Sanders be the nominee. That's right. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. That's the end of the show. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new newscast. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. 